Hello and welcome to episode two of the Healthy Scratch podcast. I'm Spencer Plumondale. I'm Tyler O'Connor. I'm Chris Johnston Galvez. And today we had a special episode. We had a guest on, and it was Mark Dumo. He was he was fantastic. This guy was just he's just a good dude at, at the base of it, don't you think? Good dude, smart dude, really really smart, yeah. insightful, and he's got the podcast voice you would hope for for an interview. Yeah, I, I don't know about YouTube, but uh, going into that, I was extremely nervous. Uh, I had never done anything like that uh, before. But the moment he hopped on, the nerves were all gone. So uh, yeah, just, just a wonderful guy, and uh, we really hope you guys enjoy it. Yeah. Big shout out to, to Terry at Hot Sauce Sports for setting this up. We were really grateful for that. And uh, and thank you to Mark in particular for, for doing this and also for giving us more time than he promised. He, he, he agreed to doing 15 to 20 minutes. He ended up giving us like an hour, and, and we really are grateful for that. So we hope you enjoy this. And, uh, yeah, here's our interview with Mark Dumo. Mark, thank you for coming on the show. Uh, I think I speak for everyone when I say we're very excited to have you on here. Um, before we get into hockey, I wanted to ask you about your backstory a little bit. I know you spent five years writing out of Ottawa for for Habs Eyes on the Prize, and you branched out to the Athletic and the Gazette, and you're, you're based in Montreal now writing for the Canadians. I was wondering if you could get into how you got your start and just how you ended up where you are today. Uh, yeah, that's a, uh, it, it's an interesting, first of all, thanks for having me on, guys. I really appreciate it. We're happy to have um, you. I didn't take the traditional route like whatsoever. I, uh, when I went to university, I actually dropped out of university. I couldn't afford it. So originally I'd gotten a scholarship to go to Carleton in journalism. Okay. And I told myself journalism, uh, is a dying, dying industry (laughs) with, um, bad hours, no money. Everyone hates you, but it's fun. But, and, but you know, I I actually did want to make money. So, what I did is I went to Ottawa U in arts, just like general arts. I kind of wanted to figure out what I wanted to do, and I realized I don't want to be here. So I started my own business, and at about 10 years later, like business was great, and don't get me wrong, money was great. Um, I was unhappy. I realized this isn't, like, this isn't very fulfilling. I went to bed unhappy. I woke up unhappy. Um, so I decided to go back to that, you know, that career I considered at the beginning, and I, I just started really writing for free. Uh, I started making jokes. That's really why I did. You know, I started like um, borrowing from guys on HF boards and posting on Twitter <laughs> and then people would give me credit. And I'm like, well, I didn't even make this, but that's actually how I got my attention. So essentially stealing other people's hard work, um, <laughs> I got attention on Twitter. Now that was just to like get my first 50 followers. And I, I dropped that because obviously it's a terrible thing to do. <laughs> Always give credit to the people that work hard. Um, and then, yeah, I just kind of gave her. You know, I know it sounds stupid, but I just really took every opportunity I could get. Um, worked for pennies on the hour uh, at Eyes on the Prize, like literally pennies on the hour. And uh, here I am. Now I work for the Montreal Canadiens, which is a little crazy, right? When you think about it. It is. Yeah, it's an amazing it story, man. It's it's the perfect success story. You start from something you don't like, find something you love. Yeah. And then you get to talk about it every day. Yeah, there it is. Awesome. Yeah, exactly. Now... I know everyone says do what you love, but that's not always possible. Like I'm so lucky and privileged to do this. Um, I, there aren't very many opportunities right now, especially, I mean, like I got laid off in the middle of a pandemic as a sports journalist, right? It was, it was pretty much dead in the water. So the Canadians are the ones that contacted me uh, the day after I was laid off actually that night at about midnight. Um, and I couldn't be happier. Uh, you know, I would say this regardless of who my employer is and, and they probably won't listen to me here because they trust me a little bit. <laughs> uh, but working for the Canadians has been absolutely fantastic. Like they're, they're, 
they're so supportive and they're so positive. It's just this weird. I've always worked for places that like they'll tell you what went wrong before they tell you what went right. With the Habs, it's the complete opposite. So so far, the Canadians have been just excellent to me, and they haven't they haven't put any restrictions in place. So that part was very important to me as well. That's amazing. We're, I think all of us were thrilled you got a you got a job so quick because it was you did great work on the Athletic. We were all big fans, and it was it was unfortunate to see that, but a quick turnaround at least. Yeah, it, you know the the thing is when you get laid off, like you get. I wouldn't have told anyone if it, like my style is to not really share my personal information. Um, but the journalism game is you have to throw your name out there. You have yeah. to be like, hey, look, I'm available. Right. Yeah. Um, and then you get all these messages saying it's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. Yeah, but like I was close to being homeless. Like I know <laughs> that sounds crazy, but like I didn't have a paycheck coming in and I couldn't pay my rent. Yeah. So, you know, the, the, like you get all these like, oh, it'll be fine. You'll be good. You'll be good. But then you're not getting job offers. And that, that actually makes you feel kind of bitter towards the people that are being nice towards you. I know <laughs> yeah. that sounds crazy. <laughs> But people mean well in general. It's just it's such a tough industry. And I mean, it's not the first time I got laid off, guys. My first like pro job was at the Montreal Metro. And I had a top ranking article every single time, literally first. And I got laid off after about six months because they got wow. bought by some gigantic billionaire that ripped it apart and sold all the parts. You, you know, journalism. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm glad you, you persevered through and you're here where you are, man. Yeah, well, but but I'm lucky. I'm privileged that I could do that. Not yeah. everyone can. So, like, as much as, yeah, I kind of got the breaks, I don't want to take away from anyone that decides to, like, I, there were points where I was like, hey, guys, I'm going to have to go get a job here and make money because I love hockey, but I, I love groceries, too. <laughs> I love food. <laughs> love like, you Somewhere know, I, yeah, exactly. I love food, man. So, you know, it can't be one or the other. So, um, you know, there's, there's a reality check. And, and you know what? It's claimed a lot of good people there. So I'm very lucky and very privileged to be in this situation. That's awesome, man. That's yeah, awesome. It's that's... awesome to hear that you're doing well um, and that you landed on your feet. Absolutely. Um, I, I'm going to dive into, a, into, a, into hockey a little bit. One of the brightest spots on this team is actually something that I care about a lot. I'm going to preface this question by saying I'm a huge Jonathan DeGoy fan. Yeah, I'm I had a, a feeling su- you were going to the DeGoy yeah. well there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, as Chris and Spence can attest to, I'm a big supporter of his. I spend a lot of time, to, time trying to defend him. Um, I know he's not perfect. There have been many moments since yeah, no he has that he hasn't done himself any favors. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, seeing how well he, he did both in the playoffs last year and to start off this season, uh, it's a nice breath of fresh air. I was just curious what you thought of him um, during that time and what, if anything, you've heard about him and the steps he and the team both have taken to help his game grow behind closed doors that may not be taken into consideration by many of his critics because it does seem like he's the kind of player that it, no matter what, he, he takes things to heart. And yep. I, I've mentioned it before. I think people like to label him as somebody who doesn't care. I tend to think that it, it, it might be the opposite. He, he, you can tell that he does. He, he is a very anxious hockey player at times. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I was just curious to get your take on him and, and what, what you thought of him so far this season. Yeah, well, I do know... And I'm a lot like him, right, in that sense. Uh, I think Max, Max Pacioretty was like that, too, in the sense 100%. that anything that happens, like, you know, I, I often say I don't care what people will say. And the people that say that are the people that care the most about what people say, right? <laughs> so um, one thing that we do have to adjust to is the fact that he was sold as a bit of a superstar. And I think that was slightly a mistake um, on behalf of when they brought him in. Uh, what I like to say with Jonathan Dwayne is, like, forget your expectations with him he's 
what you see is what you get. Right. Um, there used to, I'm going to tell you a story here. And it was the, one of the best lessons I've ever heard. It was from a, a waitress called Sandra at a Tim Hortons. Okay. Um, this is Tim Hortons in Ottawa where I grew up. And back then you could smoke. Okay. You could smoke <laughs> in the Tim Hortons and all the coffee tasted like cigarettes and all the, the, the donuts tasted like cigarettes. So we would go in because some of the boys, we would play cards and we'd go in and we'd get donuts. And we'd always want apple fritters, but they never had enough apple fritters because that's all we had in our mind. We were told apple fritters are the best. And we'd ask, what's in back? And what you say is, what you see is what you get. Right. So we'd say, well, yeah, but do you have any? Ah, what you see is what you get. So eventually, it kind of clicked there. Stop waiting for that perfect donut and go grab that donut that's right there. It might not blow your mind, mm -hmm. but it comes at a good value and it'll get you exactly what you're seeing, which is pretty good and i think that's what jonathan Drouin is he's a pretty good hockey player he's never going to blow your mind and and you have to drop those expectations so he's going to be a superstar i think for what he gets paid which is what 5.5 million yeah i think it's five um, and a half yeah. 50 points a year that's what yeah. you get offensive creativity and he's awful in his own zone now he's actually improved that this year his numbers yeah. are quite good and he's got better line mates and, and we all know line mates are key to mm -hmm. generating good numbers mm -hmm. so now that he's in a situation that's conducive to creating a little bit more, we're seeing a little more offense, a little bit better defense, but you're never going to have a superstar, and that's fine. Like, we have to come to the acceptance that the, the 80s are over. 50 points is a fair amount, <laughs> especially for a guy that wasn't really producing a ton on the power play either, right? Yeah. So he was oversold, and I think he kind of felt that pressure, but now that there's a little more pressure, a little, uh, you know, there are more shoulders for the pressure to be spread out on, that does some good for Jonathan Dwayne. And uh, he deserves a lot of praise. Like, I'm seeing, I noticed some prominent writers mentioned the one time he took, a, it was either a bad penalty or a slow shift. And I'm thinking, this guy's had like 10 amazing games in a row. And you're mentioning his one bad line change, yeah. you know? Yeah. So we need to change our opinion on that. We need to also realize that. And this, to me, I, I don't want to get into the French Canadian thing, but the Canadians went out and got a very good French Canadian player. And then a lot of the uh, criticism was that the Canadians don't have enough French Canadian players while, while Dano and Dwayne were doing pretty darn good. Like, yeah. if these guys were on other teams, we'd be complaining, why aren't those French guys on our teams doing good? So that's another aspect of it, is that um, for some reason, because he's French, the expectations are absolutely through the roof, and we should realize, like, this guy's pretty darn good, but never going to be a superstar. And that's yeah. okay. That's perfectly fine. We, he's not getting paid as a superstar. So to me, it makes sense. 100%. And I find it's interesting they bring up um, the, the reporter talking about, I, I think you mentioned the, the bad line shift. Because I've yeah, also I'm not going to say who it is, but there were a few of them that I was, they were watching. And, and they didn't say a damn thing. I, I searched their Twitter. That's how bitter yeah. I got. I'm yeah. like, are you, are you serious? Yeah. yeah. Well, I, 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 I do the exact same thing on many nights after many Habs games because I do feel like he is a bit of a victim of, of confirmation bias. People are kind of looking for him to screw up, you know? You, yeah. you, take, you take the the turnover that led, let, that led to Edmonton's only goal the other night. Sure, it wasn't the, the smartest move, but for some reason, he's the only one of the three involved in that play who seemed to get picked on. Nobody's mentioning Pichu's questionable draw pass. Nobody's talking about Suzuki trying to get a little too cheeky in his own zone. It seems like he's the one that gets all the focus. And all of a sudden, he, he played a very strong game that game. He was yeah. forechecking, he was backchecking. And, and who got the credit for the first three games on that line? Suzuki and Suzuki. Anderson. Yeah. And Anderson, that's it. Nobody exactly. even mentioned Dwayne, but guess what? Dwayne was crucial to those goals, as crucial as those other two. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. No, no, no. Absolutely. I get you. He's in that, like, endless doghouse. But finally, 
I think there's a, a few more targets for that to go around, right? Like, to me, things are going so well for the Canadians is when you start to start nitpicking. You know, it's quite yeah. the nit to pick. They're yeah. talking about the, that new contract. I mean, he still has a year left on his thing. That's yeah, the yeah. biggest issue for the Canadians right now. So you're going to get a lot of nitpicking, and Dwayne okay. will be he'll be quite the nit to pick. You're going to see a lot of people go after him for stupid things. But to me, guys, that's lazy analysis. 100%. Yeah, 100%. And you're focusing on the one, the easy, you're, you're focusing on the easy apple on the tree when in reality, you know, he does a lot of really, people are expecting him, like you said, to be the star. Yeah. But if you watch his game, he makes a lot of small, smart plays that go completely unnoticed. And it seems to be the only, only when he makes mistakes that people yes absolutely and, and i mean that's kind of the the plight of the puck moving defenseman right but yeah. i mean there is a psychological element to that it's called availability heuristic and what it means is that your brain listen we, we how many events do we see in a hockey game Twenty four thousand. you yeah, know what yeah, i mean like crazy. there's so many things that happen that our brain has to create shortcuts so 100%. things that stand out like a bad pass that your brain will okay click i have that in my brain yeah. the 30 times that pass went cleanly out of the zone doesn't no, even register 100%. right so yeah, absolutely. He, he is a victim of that. And, uh, you know, people will love the guy that hustles to get after the puck and, and skates around like a wild man. I like the guy that's already sitting there waiting for the puck. You know what, you know what I mean? mean? Like that's so, but let, let me tell you, only one of those kind of guys will get the praise for working hard. I like the smart player that doesn't have to work that hard, but hey, is. that's me. Couldn't agree more. Awesome. Uh, Mark, we were talking about, like you just mentioned it now, that uh, the puck moving defenseman, that they don't get... Um, the credit they deserve because you only see one out of the hundred things that they do. Mm-hmm. So one of the, the things that I found to get around that personal bias and the plays that you see is diving into analytics. And we've seen a lot of NHL teams actually go that route, like even Seattle now with the Alexander Mandricki, uh, New Jersey with Tyler Dello, the, the Hurricanes have Tyler uh, or Eric Tulski. The Leafs built that multi-million dollar department. Is is that something you think the Canadians are getting into? It's something that they have. Uh, working in their front office right now are they using analytics do they have their own department or are they using guys like sport logic uh is it something that they have any value that they see any value in when they're scouting their players like at pro or minor levels uh yeah both actually um i was just speaking to the canadian's newest scout uh um sorry i forget his name uh ben uh, trutton and uh he was telling about that how he got like the introduction to data analysis now as we all know, it's part of it, right? And, and, and it, like any business, and the Canadians absolutely do invest in it. Um, you're going to have Piaget of Edwards and John Sedgwick as well look at the numbers. And then you have, they have direct line with companies like, uh, I believe it's Sport Logic. I'm uh, not involved in that side, guys. This is all stuff that I knew outside of the organization. So it's not any kind of insider information. But uh, no, I know the Canadians absolutely do. Now they tie it into video, um, which is key, right? Because to me, you can't have one without the other. I love data analysis, but I actually grew up in the whole old school era. You know, all these guys that people dunk on constantly on Twitter, like they're the guys I grew up reading. They're the guys I actually respect a ton. Enough. But at one point I told myself, hey, listen, if I don't understand this stuff, I'm going to be left in the dust. I'm going to be a dinosaur. Now, every team knows that these days. There's not a single professional team worth its weight that doesn't have a data analysis crew. And then you're seeing, like, for example, what the Leafs did, um, pales in comparison like uh, arsenal has full academies of data analysis like they have one in california yes soccer you know? is huge for that yeah yes so they have one in california yeah. like, like like separately don't forget arsenal plays in london you know so <laughs> they're and, and now this is everything that they're doing we're going to do in like 20 years but they're putting billions of dollars into it because they know it's data analysis why wouldn't you use extra information to make a decision it's as if 
it's kind of like business, you know? Yeah, it's great to have that gut story. Oh, he, you know, uh, he beat the odds. But guess what? Most of the time, you beat the odds doesn't happen. You end up bankrupt. So in sports, there's such razor-thin margins that you'd be an idiot doing your data analysis, a complete idiot. Um, and you're doing a disservice to yourself. So it's not just the Canadians. Every single team in the NHL now looks at it. The key is now they're, the, the teams are starting to listen. So, and that was something that you mentioned in your question. Are they listening to them? Are they using them? Yes, it is happening. Now it's more um, internal than player acquisition. They still really like pro scouting, which always kind of confuses me, right? Like John Tavares is good, you know, no matter what. You don't need to pro scout John Tavares. It's more for the lower end guys. Um, but no, the Canes absolutely do do it. And you're, you're hearing them listen to these guys a lot more. Like, for example... Going back in the day, like Jeff Petrie was an analytics acquisition, if you could ever state such a thing. Absolutely, yeah. So they've been listening. Now it's been on and off. There have been some periods where they kind of threw it to the wind and they got a lot bigger, a lot quicker, didn't quite work out. But now it's absolutely part of their their tool belt. And, And it's not just data analysis from results. They're also one of the top leads when it comes to tracking like for practice biometrics and whatnot. So the Canadians, yeah, they're right at the cutting edge of that. But again, guys, it doesn't matter how many nerds like me you hire. It's whether or not you listen to the nerds. Yeah. You always listen to the nerds. Because here's the truth. Um, when it comes down to it, the nerds already won, right? Um, and only the ones that haven't yet, they're just running up the score. So always listen to the nerds. <laughs> Mark, you mentioned uh, John Sedgwick. He's the VP of Hockey Operations, for those of you out there that don't know. Uh, in a tweet, Arpon Bassi referred to him as the team's capologist, and I thought that was interesting. We've yeah. seen some impressive maneuvering from Mark Bergevin with the team very tight against the cap. Can you talk a little bit about John's influence there and, and what the Canadians have in him? Um, yeah, well, it's funny that his name's coming out a little bit more. They're putting him a little bit out there, but John Sedgwick started this whole yo-yo thing a long time ago, back in the day when Nathan Beaulieu was... Really? Um, just coming into the league. So he'd send them down con- constantly just to save a couple more dollars. To So that way, and this had nothing to do with them being tight on the cap. It was just to accrue that space. He was one of the first to realize like, hey, why don't we just paper them and bring them right back up? It's right. legal. And we save, let's say, $25,000. But that $25,000 turns into twenty six tomorrow, turns into twenty eight the day after. You know what I mean? And it, it exponentially grows. So he was one of the first to really kind of dial in on that. And now it's necessary. This is the reality of being a cap team. Um, I think he's this one of the smartest people in the organization. Um, he also delves into the data analysis, not just for the business side, for the actual player side. So he wears a lot of hats uh, and, and it's good to see him at the forefront, but this is a guy that to me will end up being the MVP. Him and his Google sheet there, he'll be the MVP this year. Um, <laughs> we're going to see like I even and, and I rarely worry about cap because again I'm not a capologist. But this year I was like, oh yeah, eh? oh and him, oh and him, oh and and Perry and Froelich. Like, oh, wait that's, a minute. That's the thing that really got me. Was it felt like the Canadians, despite being in a very very tight situation, were they went more full comfortable Tampa. than most teams to, to dive into that. Isn't that fun? It's, it's, it's amazing. The time that like it's a blast. Right? It's always like, oh no, they got to keep 14 million space. No, no, <laughs> yes. this year they're the team going just. Yeah, one more. Add it, add it, add it. And as we're seeing, like right now, the Canadians just got a clear COVID test. It was, it might have been, a, it was a TBA for a little bit there. Okay. They're going to play tonight. Everyone's healthy. But if that oh, hits, perfect. if that hits, that depth is going to come in huge. Oh, 100%. Like that's, yeah. So that's where John Cedric is. He's providing the depth this year. Mac Benjamin signed them. He's making sure they can play. That's the value of John Cedric. Paperwork. 
Yeah, it sounds like he can be more valuable than he we, is this we year. Watched, so. uh, we've, we've watched Tampa for like 10 years. We always say, uh, how are they going to wiggle themselves out of this? I'm going to do it oh, very oh, easily. And then they wiggle themselves out super easily. <laughs> like, oh, well, n- nonetheless, uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's so how it felt for Montreal. Like it felt like they they were in such a tight spot. The expectation from a lot of us was that they'd have to cut some Byron. guys, and, and in the end, they're signing more. You know, oh my god, Paul Byron and Arturi Lekkinen got traded, and Kulak got waived so many times here. But the, the Habs had absolutely no intention to like they, they might. I'm not saying like, and I'm not privy to any of the trades. So whatever I say here is just coming out of my loud right, mouth. Yeah. But um, like the Habs did not want to get. Think of it right now. They have Paul Byron and Arturi Lekkinen on the fourth line. Those are 15 goal scorers on your fourth That's line. Incredible That's incredible. such That's a luxury. Yeah. It's a ridiculous luxury when you think about it. Actually, Mark, because we have you and we can talk about Lekkonen, we want it to be clear that we Never know you were an original Lekkonen <laughs> fan from the beginning. And I can yeah, tell you yeah. that I was one too. And it's nice to see he already scored that shorthanded goal because I was telling the guys uh, on the, the first podcast we recorded how good his underlying numbers are. And it's just it's like it just seems like it's bad luck for him over and over again, stick breaks or whatever. <laughs> but that, that is an incredible hockey player, and to have him on your fourth line is such a luxury for the Canadians. Oh, oh my God! And he won't he won't be there for long. Let me tell you. But um, here's the thing with Lekkinen is he kind of you know we talked about the perception earlier of a player like hustling super hard and then mm-hmm. and then you know but Lekkinen so when a guy goes to create a chance. And he has to work like uh, in French, so you have to go like, you have to work like a dog to get it. And then he misses that chance. You're like, oh, okay, no big deal. He had one good chance. But then Lekkonen, you see him creating a ton of chances, yeah. okay? Because it comes fairly natural to him. If you look at how many chances he creates, he creates a lot more than most NHL players. And you're thinking like, why isn't this guy scoring more on it? But at, by the end of the year, Arturi Lekkonen is always in the top 20 left wingers. Like that's first line numbers. Now, I, you know, there's a going ongoing joke. I say he's a first liner. That's not true. And you don't want Arturi Lekkonen ideally on your first line. But we have to come up with a, a realistic approach here. 15 goals on the third line without being on the power play is as good as a third liner can possibly get. There's like there's no better third liner than some guys might get hate, hit 18 on the third line with no power play minutes. But guys, do your work here. Tell me how many guys have hit. 18, you know, 14, or last year he had 13 and 70 games. So what? That's 16 and 82. How many guys hit 16 goals in the third line without any power play time and a lot of penalty kill time? I think you're going to come up with the answer like two or three. Yeah. So that's the value of Arturi Lekkonen. To me, it's the Lekkonen litmus test. If you understand his value, congratulations. You probably know a lot about hockey. If you don't, You can probably have a really good radio take or complain about on Twitter why he missed his one shot there. But I like the guy that creates a lot of hits. Not necessarily the guy that's going to hit one homer out of every... You know, I want a guy that, that, that bats 300 rather than the guy that hits one big homer once in a while. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I get the perception thing with Lekkonen, but let, 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 let's be clear here. There are 31 other teams that would love him, but there's one team that's going to hold on to him, and that's yeah. the Canadians. I think there was a just sort of a misunderstanding of... of- what kind of player he was going to turn into. He had just broken records in the playoffs. It was the 18 there. goals, right? Oh, and the Falunda playoffs. Exactly, yeah. He broke yeah. Marcus Nazan's record, I think. I think it was Nazan. Nazan or Forsberg. Yeah, and, yeah. and uh, he came in and he did have that first year where I think it was 18 goals, right? And so there was a perception that he was going to develop into a scorer. Yeah. But there wasn't was a never the case, the time. really, when he Sorry, was playing for Falunda. Like, other than the playoff streak where he bid Alfredson. And that was like, I remember that's when this, and we're like, where the hell is this coming from? Yeah. So hot and cold. Right. But uh, no, no, no. I'll tell you right now. Coaches love this guy. 
And that's a really good sign when coaches love him. Not, and it's not because he's 42 years old and wins faceoffs either. You know, <laughs> coaches love him for good reason. He's one of the smartest players in the league. So yeah, uh, I'm a big uh, Lekkonen fan. But hey, him on the third and fourth line, that's great with me. I have no complaints there. Absolutely. There was a, there was a, a GM last year. I think that he remained unnamed, but he said if ever the Canadians wanted to get rid of Lekkonen, there would be 30 teams that would be interested. Yeah, yeah. all 30. Well, he wasn't counting Seattle, but yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I know the people who work for Seattle. Trust me, they'd be yeah, all they, over it. But yeah, no, no, yeah, Lekkinen's yeah. like as close as you get to a no move without, you know. Obviously, you move Lekkinen if you have to, but no, no, no. The Habs love this guy, and they're not losing sight just because they have more depth. They're not losing sight of his value. That's like they, there's think of it: a guy that can put up offense, eat up tough minutes with not that great line mates against tough competition because he often faces top six competition with no power play time and lots of penalty kill time. That's just such a, and he doesn't complain. That's such a blessing for a coach. Absolutely. I'm telling you that that's why they love him. That, that, that's awesome to hear. And to piggyback on the last question we asked, talking about players value and obviously how much uh, the Habs value um, lacking in, I wanted to get your, your opinion on, on, on Ryan Paling's situation. With the Habs. Uh, it seems obviously with Suzuki and KK, um, progressing as they are and Dano still being um, the, the one of the high-end centers in the league as well as Jake Evans kind of having his coming out party uh, last year during the playoffs and at the start of this season I was just curious what, what you thought the Habs plans were with him if uh, if because it wasn't too long ago that he was kind of like the next their their prize jewel I, I that, that doesn't make any sense well, no, no, no. I know what you're yeah. saying though but there it, was a lot of hype behind yeah there was a lot of hype and and I I don't know again I don't know too much about him and, and I know he did pretty well in college but I I have a hard time figuring out if the hype was just due to a lack of other prospects or if the Habs really see something in him that hasn't translated on the ice yet. um like I mean we have to I think Joy Bouchard said it best if we can be brutally honest about um, Ryan Paling, yeah. you look at his numbers, and I mean, he was he wasn't the point per game in the NCAA. Okay, right. he was close to a point per game. I think I looked at um, there was a Buffalo Sabres player that he essentially tracked. Like, what was his name? Uh, he ended up, a guy that ended up scoring like 15 goals a year. And I remember I came up with this. I did this full projection. So Suzuki lined up with like stars. Yeah. Like Suzuki lined up with like either a Nazem Kadri or better in terms of potential offense and paling lined up with like a guy that scored like 10 15 a year for 15 years and people are like oh that sucks i'm like what do you mean he's like you know he's a late <laughs> first rounder he never put up a ton of numbers in college that would be a really good like ceiling for him and paling even brought it up to me um when we were speaking in person but what bouchal said and he, he was fine about it by the way he was just kind of like winking he was kind of telling me like shut up nerd there and i kind of <laughs> got it i understood what he was saying but but bouchal kept saying like this guy's not a Connor mcdavid we need to leave him alone give him a right. minute give him a chance to breathe now look at look at ryan paling's trajectory last year he goes from uh world juniors to cloud to, to, to back sorry so ncaa world juniors ncaa um nhl gets injured um, NHL World Juniors Laval injured Montreal Laval injured Montreal Laval I believe was his was last year yeah. like that's insane right that's not uh, that, like they so what is really hard to focus when you're in that situation and I know Ryan will probably tell yourself that he, he, he didn't necessarily have his eyes on the prize at the beginning mm-hmm. um, but he's focused up and I think what we need with him is just basically first of all realistic expectations he's never going to be a superstar and that's fine again super fine 
you get superstars in the first three picks. That's about it. If anyone else turns out to a superstar, great, but don't expect it. Um, he just needs time to breathe. He needs fewer guys like me at practice, Naval, shoving a mic in his face <laughs> and saying like, hey, why aren't you doing good in the AHL? At one point, Bouchard essentially just told me like, stop talking to him. Just stop talking to him for the love of God. Because my boss kept sending me out to talk to him. And I kept yeah. telling my boss, there's nothing to talk about. Like, there's really nothing. My boss is like, ah, that's the story. You're going to go get it. And eventually, Bouchard came out and said to a scrum of people, because then everyone shows up when something happens, right? I'm the only one there every day. And then all the big outlets show up. And so there's a Ryan Paling thing that happened. And he turned to me and he said, he's like, now you got to stop bugging him every single day, right, guys? And he's staring at me. Like, he turned around and he's staring at me. And that was his way of saying, like, give the guy a chance to breathe. So I think... He was right in saying that. He was right going to bat. He was also right in setting the expectations a little lower. Let's yeah. be patient. Uh, let's be realistic. And uh, let's keep in mind, he had one season in the pros that was split between, you know, a lot of rides on the Metro, a lot of rides on planes, a lot of injuries. So just a nice, clean season for him. Get his head straight, get his game straight, find his rhythm. I think that'll do him a lot of good. I wouldn't even consider him for NHL right now unless he blows anyone away at camp. Let him figure it out in the AHL. That's fine. He's young. He's got time. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that you say that because you're right. I, like I mentioned off uh, off the hop, I I didn't know much about his ceiling and what kind of player they thought he was going to become. But the one thing I did know was that he was never thought of as the offensive no threat. He was supposed to be a maybe not the, the third line out. setter maybe yeah like a plaque or a dano like that kind of idea like a shutdown yeah. centerman right like if you could get that high yeah but he never even had the offense for that but it, it let's be honest and we all said it wouldn't it was that yeah. three goal game well 100 percent, yeah 100 I, I remember i i wrote a poll on twitter yeah. asking habs fans um who i respect i mean they're really really smart the only difference between an expert and a habs fan is that some people get called experts right but <laughs> I, I was asking who do you think is going to start the season in Montreal? And it was something like 12% said just Suzuki, um, 20% said both, and then the rest was Suzuki in the minors and paling, you know, with the halves. Yeah. So, I mean, it just goes to show the expectations there. But that that was a fluky game. If you go back to it there, like he was essentially just getting – not no, 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 no. Sorry, I don't want to take away from his, his performance. But yeah. – I doubt that it would be able to be repeated if you put himself in that same situation. So expectations are way too high for Ryan Paling. He really, really, really has a good um, base, good yeah. hockey sense, um, you know, good good work ethic and controls the puck really well. Um, if you can bring up that foot speed a little bit more, maybe use his teammates a little bit better. Yeah. When he gains the zone, he tries to do it on, on, on his own a lot. He changed that. He, he's slowly and surely using his his uh, his teammates a little bit better, and that that'll do him some good. And he's gaining trust with his coach. So, Shoy Bouchard did a lot of work with him in Laval, and uh, I think it's paying off. Yeah. Well, yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, I was just gonna say, like like I mentioned about the the D, he wasn't thought of as the offensive guy, and and like you said, it's it's good to hear that they're giving him the time that he needs, because I think a lot of people forget that. For a lot of these guys, jumping to the NHL, the the change in skill in, in speed and skill is 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 nothing like there are very few other professional leagues in the world where the the jump from junior or, or whatever league they're playing into the and NHL he went from college to like he skipped a whole step there. Yeah. It's huge, and and you know you hear it all the time that the especially if he's going to be a defensive, they always thought of him as the D a defensive minded centerman. 
that takes a while. That, that that that's not something the offense offensive players can usually kind of figure it out a bit quicker. Yeah, and you're seeing the results you want, right? But let's keep in mind, Patrice Bergeron got benched during his rookie year. Exactly. It you know, time. no, I'm not saying he's going to be a Patrice Bergeron <laughs> here. We got to make that very clear. But um, if I can borrow from Joël Bouchard, yeah. Uh, we're used to everything instant gratification yeah. that's just look the number one thing i learned in hockey and it's going back to what you just said that difference there that that half a, it's a half a second it's not even a full second it's a quarter second it's a tenth of a second that's the entire difference and it's so tough to overcome that so just jumping from the ncaa to the ahl huge difference in quality and speed and then that next jump, jump up i mean listen that's that's if you're not ready for it you're going to get absolutely dominated up there and uh you know there's a reason why i don't think claude julien was giving him too many minutes either i don't think you can argue that you should have been giving him more minutes so it was a test he got his feet wet got put back in the hl and i think that was the right way to go and now leave him there until he's ready of course guys he could come into camp and blow everyone away and make me eat more crow i'd be happy to do it i'll put some hot sauce on there but (laughs) i just don't have heightened expectations for ryan paling and i think that's the smart way to approach it all right perfect yeah i feel the same Yeah, I'm just curious because you spent so much time on the Val. Just quickly, outside of Jake Evans, is there a prospect you think has like a long-term, uh, could surprise a lot of people type situation? Yeah, well, I'm, yeah, you just took my Jake Evans answer out. Which <laughs> Thanks a lot for that. Um, he does this a lot. He takes the easy way out. <laughs> no, um, there's one actually, and it's funny because he did play last year like a little bit, but I really like Otto Leskinen. Um I like the way he plays. I he, like he he plays a lot like Romanov, but he's actually a little more aggressive. He's got a better shot, probably a better passer too. Now he's got better skating. He doesn't have the great hockey sense. That's the biggest issue right there. Is the la- maybe not a lack of hockey sense, but you can see Romanov is one of the smartest guys in the ice. Like we didn't talk about this, come him coming in. That guy is smart. He's so yeah. goddamn smart. Like he's it's clear. Too. Yeah, and, and I mean, confidence is right up there because he knows he's going to be smart, make the right play, right? So I would say Otto Leskinen is one guy, obviously, you're going to want to watch. Maybe not as a like prominent guy, but he can run a power play in the AHL. And uh, he does have an offensive touch. We saw him go back to the Liga, and he was doing good there. So I would say Otto Leskinen is, is uh, definitely a guy you're going to want to watch. And right now, other than that, I mean, there's Caden Primo. But... Um, like you're seeing, like Romanov, Suzuki, Kokinami, and Evans—they could all be in the AHL this year. That would be the guys I would normally be saying, keep an eye out on them. But they've already graduated a little early. Obviously, we know about Kale Flurry, um, and Josh Brook is in the same boat as Ryan Paling. He's going to need a little time, a little, you know, to be relaxed. But one guy, out of all those that I haven't mentioned yet, is um, Jesse Yelonen. I think he's got that amazing speed, and if he can keep his health up, if he can maybe find and this is so cliche but go into those dirty areas to the front of the net he's got a really good shot he's got good reaction skills he's a great skater like he might be the best skater in the entire organization um so wow. jesse okay. yeah yeah exactly and this is an organization that has victor mete in it right so yeah jesse Yanonen might be the best skater in the organization and i'm only saying might because i have to talk to some of these guys you know so uh yeah he's a guy that i'm really it's unfortunate we didn't get to see him much last year he came over with a little bit of a knock yeah but um and the pelicans are pretty let's let's be honest they haven't been very great in terms of overall results so mm-hmm. i can't wait to see him in a full year in the ahl mark you mentioned uh you mentioned alex romanov his emergence so far this year has been remarkable to watch uh, his abilities offensively are really intriguing to me right now 
I find it amazing that it's it's 2021 and you can have a guy who was drafted two years ago that can come in and still have this much mystery surrounding parts of his game. What's your take on his offensive game right now and how was Montreal able to get such a confident and accurate assessment on this guy when he was sheltered so heavily in the KHL? I mean, they knew he was this good. How did they know so surely when they're not a, they're not an organization to come out that confident under normal right. circumstances? And they really... They, they, they buttered the bread on this one Big for time. Me. If, if, if you'll allow me to and probably splice together two sayings that really have nothing to do with each other <laughs> first of all they had the european combine now romanov was not invited to the nhl combine okay right which kind of goes to show hey like you know these guys scouting years in advance they're not always accurate so he was not invited to the nhl combine but the canadians invited him to their combine that they had in stock either stockholm or gothenburg i completely forget which one um so he was there and he was also there with uh, if I remember correctly, it was Yolonen and um, who else did they pick that year? No, was it Ikonen? Either way, they ended up picking three Europeans in the second round, if I remember correctly, and Romanov was one of them. So, oh yeah, Jacob Olofsson was the other one. Yeah. So they had that combine, and the advantage here is that then when he went to was another tournament, and Russia got eliminated like real quick, and the Habs were like, yes, thank God. Because <laughs> a lot of these scouts were showing up for the medal rounds, Russia got dumped, so they were really happy there. And then they had an in-depth conversation pre-draft in the sense that they didn't just like, hey, man, how's it going? They wanted the, – the Habs are so intense when it comes to finding out about long-term plans like character. And I know it might sound like buzzwords that we hear a lot in hockey, but they actually put a ton of importance to this. How are you going to fit in the room? How are you going to react to certain players? Is this player going to piss off everyone else in a room? Because if, if so, we don't want them, you know? Yeah. So um, there's a lot that goes into it, the the the, the – decide that they want good humans they want good human beings and i think romanov um as far as i know obviously uh is a pretty good guy himself and he's got that character in the sense that he wants to be involved in every single play he's the kind of guy that you don't alexander romanov goes from making you think you could win to making you think you should win you know what i mean and it actually reminds me a little bit of the pk suban factor um now i don't know where that offense is coming from because (laughs) I spoke to guys in house management before I wrote an article. I'm like, I'm like, hey man, like, how pumped should I be here? I'm pretty pumped, and they're like, yeah, you should be pretty pumped, you know. And <laughs> but they're like, watch out, there's not gonna be a ton of offense. And I'm like, yeah, that's fair. That's the thing. Because I would always say, he's got that Subban like enthusiasm, but he makes better decisions. But he doesn't have the offense. Well, he might have the offense. I don't know. Like <laughs> that's the, well, that's where I'm at. I'm like, I don't know what this guy has in him. It's it's amazing. But you remember it's... the World Juniors, right? He was taking 40 he was great shots per juniors. game. So maybe, maybe when you know you're about to lose a guy and let's let's face it here i know we give rush a lot of crap here but he was he was young playing in the khl like they don't get that many minutes anyhow and he was playing 20 minutes against like lower competition then they played higher competition his minutes dropped it was actually a really normal development it wasn't ideal and once the canadians made their intentions clear obviously he wasn't uh, getting minutes yeah Yeah, exactly but when we saw him in the world juniors this guy was producing and he was playing um like an offense, uh, 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 he was playing in a role that was conducive to offense. So, the Habs, for the first time ever, I mean, they threw him on the power play in his first game, right? Like, isn't that like wasn't wasn't everyone like? Hmm, I thought Claude Jean hated uh, rookies and hated Russians. Yeah, like, exactly. like oh, I guess this uh, this kind of destroys those two uh, those two uh, ill-informed rumors, right? So, it was really interesting to see him, and and I think Habs fans love seeing that right off the bat. Here you go, kid. Like, give her, you know, yeah. give her, and. He took the ball and he ran with it. That's what that's what the kind of confidence he has. He's so smart that you know he can try to do things, but he's going to make the right decision 9 out of 10. Now, 
it's not all going to be roses. He's going to have some rough times. Oh, of course. Um, and we have to anticipate that. But, hey, hell of a debut. I think we should all be pretty excited about this guy. I'm thrilled about him. I can't I can't remember in recent memory a prospect stepping in uh, and, and acclimatizing that quickly. It's it's really something to watch. He reminds me of Doughty a little bit out of there with the poise he's got and the way he moves the puck. It's, uh, right? Like like young Doughty. And, yeah. But, it, it, you know, from what people have been telling me, I, I, I spoke to a lot of scouts, a lot of Russian coaches and they're saying this guy's been playing nhl style for for two years now yeah like he's, he's playing in the khl which has a lot of space okay it's different it's it's like the khl almost moves slower because there's so much space mm-hmm. and when you watch it you're like okay i get it and then when it, you know like guys just aren't moving that quickly um but romanov wasn't playing that style he was playing nhl style in the khl so he was, he was ready for this he's been raring to go for a while now yeah I couldn't be happy. We, we heard the uh, speed is a yeah. huge problem too. Like uh, Miko Letnin just said it a few days ago that like he was waste, used to having much more time with the puck and now it's yeah. just go, go, go. And that's how Romanov was playing. It's like, okay, it's the difference. I don't know if you guys remember the play. It was the first game of the year, but it was the power play goal with Josh Anderson. Um, it was Petrie to Drouin to um, Josh Anderson. And yeah. it was the play itself took 2.1 seconds. Oh, um, that's how you score in the NHL. You're never going to score the KHL. You'd have you'd have eight seconds to do that, and that's not a, like it, pros say this. Like they're like it's so slow. I have a really hard time adapting to how slow it is. So Romanov never bought into that, and that's why you see guys that come over Shipshayov, for example. I thought he was going to be amazing. Yeah. Um, there's a like a laundry list of guys that I watch. I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, he's going to come over and be very, very good. Um, and they just never had that speed. They have the skill. So Romanov executes at a like it's not just good enough to be quick. A fast skater, have good hands. You have to execute quickly, and that's what Romanov does well. He's got the brain to to, to keep up with his hands. And because I mean, if not, you're just kind of a Robbie Shrimp, right? Like yeah, lots yeah. of skills, but you can't really put it all together. Romanov can put it all together. And they're moving the puck so well as a team this year too. And that's always been a strong suit. They've always moved the puck very quickly. But this year, there's another element to it where it looks. It reminds me of how Detroit used to move the puck in the early 2000s. You know, and it's creative a, too. It is exactly. There's that creativity that was lacking in in previous years. So it's amazing that he's been able to step in and and drive play within that system yeah as a as a, as a rookie now Claude Genet, i'm gonna have to give him props he's doing really good work right now believe it or not romanov is leading the team in shot share so what that means is that when he's on the ice there's no other player that controls more of the shots when they're on the ice for the canadians <laughs> than romanov incredible. um <laughs> now he is playing on the third pairing and, and and brett kulak's kind of a cheat code for the third pairing i know a lot of guys are harsh on him but brett kulak makes his partners better he always has really good numbers. He's probably like, you know, we talk about Jeff Petrie being underrated. He's not anymore because we recognize that. Mm-hmm. Brett Kulak is the epitome of underrated. Now he adapts yeah. to his partners very well. So he's doing a pretty good job adapting to Romanov. Um, and they may, they start about 70% of their shifts in the offensive zone. A lot of guys that are smarter than I would probably look at that and say, oh, you know, that's why he's, yeah, yeah. But that's how you treat a third pairing rookie, yeah. right? You're not going to throw him to the wolves. So Coach Jinyang has actually done a pretty good job sheltering him put him in a position that's conducive to succeed and if you're going to put a rookie you know in, in a prominent role in in the nhl that's how you have to do it so i actually completely disagree with everyone that says Jeanne hates rookies i think he loves them and he doesn't want to ruin them and if you're up to it if you're at the, like the romanov or a suzuki yeah he'll throw you in there you're good to go if you need to be brought up a little slower he'll take that route too and i think that's fine yeah that's so a did, great point he actually. say like this week that the nhl is not a developmental league like he needs to win he games said it also. multiple times yeah he can't yep. he can't always rely on 
You know, it's not just for farm. It's not a farm team. It's, well, it's the big boy club. Exactly. To Mark's point, oh, no, no, no. The coach always has to win, right? Like that's no yeah. matter what. The coach no. has to win. Um, now, I'll disagree with him, even though again he forgets more than I've ever known. The NHL, the NHL is a developmental league. You I mean you look at who's on an entry level contract right now? They're still developing. Yeah, they're they're developing into even better NHLers. But the idea that you have to be a hundred percent cooked, you know, ready to go into the league, not so much anymore. Not so much anymore. The cap makes it so that you have to take advantage of. But I, I totally get what he's saying. Uh, Mark, I, I was curious to get your opinion on something that seems to have taken over Habs Twitter. It's died down a little bit, but um, obviously it seems like Dubois, is, 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 his time in Columbus is coming to an end. Um, and like any good GM, uh, Bergevin sniffed around trying to see what kind of package Columbus Bergevin, is looking for. Bergevin knows the value of every single player oh, in the exactly. NHL. I'm telling you right now. Yeah, Exactly. Um, and obviously he's made it very clear. Suzuki and Romanov are completely off the table. They're not even in the discussion, which really only leaves KK as the only piece many think could interest Columbus. If you were a betting man um, and Columbus and Montreal, uh, sorry, and Columbus did in fact present the Habs with a package that revolved around KK and Dubois, would you put your money on Dubois becoming a Hab or Bergevin having faith in his third overall pick? Okay, I'm going to have to pre... I'm terrible at trades like trying to figure yeah, out trades so am i that's why i always <laughs> like, ask I no... chris i ask questions all the time because i'm like sometimes i'm lost. thinking like oh this guy's gonna go for a ton yeah. and then he doesn't so I, I i'm really bad at trades but here's what i will say okay. um i think philip dano who's another name that's been going thrown around is just as good if not better right now because when you look at hockey it's playing at both ends of the ice yeah. and there's one in particular that does a much better job that'll probably get him a, a selkie nom in the near future and his name is not Dubois. now that being said um to me, it's the contract that's the issue here. Right. Benjamin almost never goes guys guys have short term, and he likes to control the term, right? He likes to be the guy that signs them. Think of um, Shaw, Drouin. Like, there's so many guys that he acquired and then signed immediately. Josh Anderson. Boom. There's another one. So, you know, I see it as in two years, mm-hmm. he'd be willing to look at that. Mm-hmm. But the idea that it's not, there's no guarantees with his contract. Like, yeah, it's good value, but he might demand for a trade yeah and he'll be an rfa but rfas have a lot more leverage than they once did and we see they hold out all the time right you can't just like hey too bad kid you're playing that's not how it works anymore um so i I just don't feel it's the right time but that being said pierre-luc dubois very good young player and and, i mean if you look at the lineup and you have dano suzuki or, or maybe even suzuki dano dubois i mean like you know that's 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 not a bad way of going about it but um, I, I like that Kukinemi's on a controlled contract this yeah. year. I like that they can control his extension going forward, and it'll actually probably be a little more reasonable. It won't be up to $5 million right away, I don't think. Yeah. Um, so it, it's the kind of guy that I think kind of checks a lot of the boxes, except for that darn contract and the timing. Like, the Habs are pretty set. Things yeah. are rolling well. You don't – yeah, you always look to improve. And I hate the idea of if it ain't broke, don't fix it. That's terrible. You can always make things better, but there's also value to chemistry. Um, it's a shortened season. Things are working out well. So it wouldn't surprise me if Benjamin actually it would surprise me if Benjamin didn't inquire. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just like, I have a hard time seeing it working, you know, but that's why there are smarter men than me working the phones and working trades because I just, I just don't see how this works for either team. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, well I, and I will say this. At least you have a, a justified reason. Uh, Chris and Spence and I have had this conversation before, and they know exactly how I feel about this trade. And when I say no, I'm speaking directly from the heart. So it's nice to hear that you actually have 
a logical excuse. A logical well, I mean, reason. he was good though. That's the other side. Like, no, he's I. Very, yeah. He's a very good player. Um, yeah. and he scores a lot of his points at five on five, which yeah. I love. I love that. Now, I mean, his rookie year, he had twenty nine five on five points. Yeah. G- guess how many Jesperi Kutkemi had in his rookie year, and don't forget, Kutkemi was younger. 29 points yeah, so you know what I mean like last year was a really outlier don't get me wrong Kimmy had terrible underlying numbers yeah, um, but we haven't seen the best of Kimmy yet and, and I, I don't know I think I think that Marc will be um, cautious before he trade a third overall uh, yeah. at this time so I just and, and also cap you gotta make cap I don't know just I'm glad I'm not in charge of these decisions I guess would be my answer I'd lose all my hair when I say no, I'm not. I know I, I, Dubois is a very good hockey player. Yeah, and many would probably call me foolish for saying no, um, but it's strictly for my unde, un, undeniable love for KK. That the oh, that well, a that's a terrible reason. That's trigger. a terrible reason. Oh, Never go, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's why. That's why I. That's why I do all my hockey talk on Twitter and and here because yeah. if I was ever put in charge, oh boy, oh <laughs> yeah. boy. Well, I, I, I mean, I think the thing is what I like is that you should never be afraid to, even if you have the best team in the league, yes, you go ahead and oh, you make it better. better 100%. Right? Um, Steve, Steve Eisenman never, never shied away from anything. Yeah, exactly. Never. And now, and what I look about Zubois is when I look at his numbers, um, he, he's like actually underperforming a little bit to what his underlying numbers are saying he should be doing. So there's some more potential there. Uh, and, and he's almost always in that 15 to 20 even strength goals, which is exactly yeah. what the Canadians need. So yeah, there's value there. I just, I don't know. Maybe it's because I'm, I'm I'm lazy or I can't figure it out or, or I've been stuck in my house for so long. I just I can't figure out a way that this works for both teams, right? Because right. there's, it's easy for Canadians to say here, take what we don't want and give us the good stuff, but that's not how Columbus is going to operate. And and they've they've moved a lot of stars recently. They're going to be very very touchy with how their star players get moved around. Because don't forget, there's a fan base there. You have to keep happy too, and oh, with good yeah. reason. Kikalainen is not an easy guy to make trades with either. He's uh, he's going to make whoever pays up for him pay up a lot. So, yeah, exactly. And think of it this way: How old is what twenty three or something? Twenty two, I believe. I think he's twenty two. He's a center, and what did he? He's hit fifty. Has he hit fifty points? I really should. I should. Read I, think he, has, I think yeah. he hit fifty. Uh, yeah, he's hit fifty before. I think. Okay, so that's so good. That's like... <laughs> no, yeah, no, 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 yeah. I, 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 I love Dubois, and uh, I, like I said, I, admit, that my no is not speaking logically. It's, it's. Yeah, but I mean, what I like about Kukinemi is that I guess my argument for Dubois, if I talk about value, with those two, I think, he, I think, right now Dubois is a better player, and there's no yeah. denying it. 100%. Um, what we saw in Kukinemi in his first year, those underlying numbers blew away anything Dubois ever done. Oh, if he can really, get yeah. back to that level. Yeah. Especially defensively, he was a all star. Exactly. Yeah, if you can get back to that, it, don't forget, guys. Stats are great, but you have to f- never forget the other half of the stats, which are in the defensive zone yeah. or preventing that defense, the playing defense, right? But, so, I don't know. If Kukin can get back, get back to that, um, I don't know if we'd even bother to have this conversation. Fair, very true. I, I had I had told the guys that the evolving wild uh, the year that uh, his rookie season had pushed. They're talking about Selkie, Kukin, Kukin, yeah, yeah, to, to have him at the Selkie conversation because he. He, he was, he was, he was yeah. but I mean, he was missing the five years of old journalists loving him there. Like, that <laughs> wasn't how you get your sulky, but uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, he, by all intents, but, but then again, like, I mean, I was pushing for Zach Aston Reese to, to get a sulky nom, right? So maybe, maybe us, the guys that look at the numbers shouldn't vote for this. <laughs> well, I, I'm glad to hear that you're not uh, a hockey journalist that refuses to do math and complain about math the whole time. That's yeah, also I, great. I, I failed grade. 11 math 
twice actually there's a really cute girl that i, I wanted to be in her <laughs> class um and then and now the worst part is we ended up going to summer school with that girl hey mal how's it going you're probably not listening <laughs> to this but um my father is a chart- chartered accountant so <laughs> and i work <laughs> with data analysis but i failed grade 11 or 10 i also failed memory apparently but yeah so i failed high school math just goes to show yeah but here's the thing guys you can't be afraid of it right like there's some there's so many smart guys out there that are afraid of it it just makes them look dumb and they're not dumb yeah. so just take a minute look at it we use we, we we're so arrogant the way we present it we need to do a better job as data analysts quote unquote of presenting it in a way that's digestible don't say Corsi. Say shot share. Everyone gets, okay, it's the share of the shots. Yeah. If I say he had 52% of the high danger chances, you know exactly what I mean. But if I'm saying it's his XGV dash, you know, like PR slash DiGiorno <laughs> times 60, well, then people will be like, why is this contrived? Why is this unnecessarily contrived? Well, that's to make ourselves feel better and smarter. We don't need right. to do that. We have to stop making people feel small when we present yeah. our numbers because yeah. we're all in it in the same. And you know what? If they don't want to look at the numbers, that's fine too. But you should look at the numbers. Yeah, well, there's a balance to be struck. And you mentioned earlier, too, that you're, you run the risk at this point. If you don't embrace the numbers to some degree, you, you risk becoming a dinosaur, right? It's, you're just going to fall to the wayside eventually because it is an important part of the game. If you're only if you're not looking at data right now in hockey, it's essentially like, you know, you're selling horse carriages and the, and the first Model T just came to town. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, Mark, we, you know, we're uh, big fans of your Twitter, so... Uh, we know that your first love, obviously, is hockey, but we... Um... Arsenal. Ars- oh, yes, you're right. Arsenal, Arsenal is my first love, yeah. Well, there, and, and my first 50 hates, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, that that's that, that one's tough. It's a love, uh, hate, 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 yeah. hate, hate relationship, you know? I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a big soccer fan, too, and you guys took a Thomas party for my beloved Atletico this summer, so... Um, um, we'll treat them terribly, don't worry about it. <laughs> One of the things that we know you're very passionate about because uh, it's inspired many of my meals is uh, food and food in the city. So we know that you're a huge advocate for Mapoul Mouillet. Yeah. I can tell you that I've been because of your Twitter account. You're like the hundredth person to tell me that. And, uh, <laughs> okay, they don't is. pay me, but they yeah, should. They, Yo, they, Mapoul Mouillet. Money, huh? Mapoul they, Mouillet. They, def- they owe you commission. They, de- they definitely know who you are because I mentioned you and you were. N- I'm not the first person to have said it. Oh, so. really? Okay, well, <laughs> my Paul Mouillet, give me my Portuguese chorizo. Give me my deliciousness. Oh, wait, let's go. I want some, uh, what do you call the delicious desserts there? Um, the Portuguese dessert there. Um, not naan, but... Um, Natas? Yes, yes, so give good. me more. I finally had that for the first time ever. I was like, oh my God, they're like, so good. <laughs> they're, yeah. they're really good. Okay, so I was curious. So outside of my Paul Mouillet, uh, I know you had sent quite a few to the Tofolis when they first arrived, but your top three, where should we go if we don't know where to eat this week? I would say one of the places I really like going is Maine. Okay, everyone talks about Schwartz Deli. Maine is the place to go. It's across the street from Schwartz. It's as good. Um, and there's always the fun stories that like you'd go, there was a lineup for Schwartz because tourists like me that was in Ottawa, we'd drive down just for Schwartz. There's, like we'd drive down to Montreal, like, oh, are you guys going partying? We're like, because mm, we had coolers with us. We're like, yeah, kind of. We're going to go get some brisket, actually. <laughs> but, like, you know, like, um, but across the street, there's a place called Maine, as good. That's where Leonard Cohen would go. You know what I mean? Like that's where like the people that really knew Montreal would end up going. So, I mean, you can't go wrong with a deli in Montreal, but I like the Maine. Uh, I- I'm absolutely a big fan of that place um i really also like uh the, um, it's just like it's not cheap it's not expensive either but it's just reasonable price korean barbecue koreans 
deep fry a mean chicken. Like they do such a great job with it. And actually it turns out I was reading about it. it turns out they got taught during the wars when black um, soldiers went over and they're the ones that taught really? them how to fry chicken. And then they came over back over here and now they're serving um, fried chicken to us. And it's, it's just, I don't know if you guys have had Korean fried it's chicken amazing, before. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. You have to have it. So, and there's a long history behind it, which is super interesting, which you can go to, uh, go take a look to it. And you know what the third place I really like going? Um, the shawarma here is unacceptable. I'm going to say this right now. Ottawa has better shawarma. Bustan's okay. And obviously you guys got me going here because I'm talking about food. I'm getting all excited. Oh, take your time. Um, <laughs> do what you need. <laughs> no, it's good. Go, we want it. Right? I go to Akavan. Uh, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right. And if I'm not, I do apologize. But the Akavan Market um, on Sherbrooke. And NDG? Yes. Yeah, I go and to that one too. Because they have a counter of balachawe, which is baklava, which is my favorite dessert. <laughs> it is so good. Now, there's a huge Lebanese population in Ottawa, right? So that we were so obsessed growing up with... Um, as soon as I got into baklava, because it was kind of different, right? It's more honey and, and, and nuts. So I had a lot of Lebanese friends and they, they, they would shove that in my mouth and I was like, oh my God, what is this? This is so good. So I have an obsession for baklava uh, and you can get some really good, fresh, like homemade baklava there. It's not now the baklava that you get like wrapped at trauma stores kind of sucks. You want that good stuff. You want to, and their, their baklava counter is like bigger than my spare room in, in my house. So Go there, okay, um, well. and you can get like bulk bulk cashews, and like yeah. they have like pre marinated chicken and stuff. So you know, obviously, lots of delicious flavors. As soon as it's anything Middle East, you have just these amazing flavors, and that's what I love. There is going to you know getting a little, and right across the street, there's also a Korean and Japanese market. So yeah, and that's that place is great too. Actually, I go there all the time. Right? Yeah. So and that's that's what I love. Like when I used to live in Ottawa, it was downtown, and one of the best parts about Ottawa is that. You have pho on one street and then you have shawarma on the next. And then, you know, you go down and then it's Chinese food. And then, you you know, you move down again and then you'll have like a Somalian food. And then, you know what I mean? Et cetera, et cetera. It's tons so of variety. Yeah. That, I kind of like this little area in NDG because there's a lot of different uh, different flavors. That, there is. Uh, yeah. Well, you go up the street from Alamana and you got a tiny little place called – or sorry, from Akavan. you got a tiny place called Alamana that's got some decent stuff too. It's a little crazy right now during the pandemic. Like closer though, to into... Concordia? Like towards Concordia? Uh, going toward – yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I haven't been in there yet, but I saw it, it kind of looks like a more of a traditional grocery store type thing. Yeah, yeah. I've seen that a couple times walking because I walked from my barber to the, to the Akavan there. Yeah, so I'll have to go in there. I love I love those little spots. Those like, you know, the spots that aren't really well advertised. Exactly, Actually, yeah. I like the places that are a little bit dirty. Like to me, You'll like this <laughs> shows place. that you're busy. You're getting yeah. stuff done there, you know? Like <laughs> yeah, obviously well, with, you know, there's this place in, in Ottawa, if ever you go, and I heard it's not the best anymore, but um, the Rienzo's, okay, it's this grocery store. It's this old Italian place. They grow the tomatoes out front, and it's kind of dingy. You walk in, kind of dingy. Floors aren't super clean. Best sandwich you'll have in your life, four yeah. bucks. You know? It's just so. that perfect amount of grime. You're looking for the sweet spot. <laughs> exactly, yeah. exactly. It's, it's like going to McDonald's right before they switch from nighttime to breakfast, <laughs> yeah. and they haven't had time to clean the grill. That's the best McMuffin you'll yeah. ever have in your life, my <laughs> yeah. friend. That has six hours of happiness on it. There it is. All right, well, Mark, thank you so much for coming on the show. This is uh, this has been a real treat. We've really enjoyed talking to you. Um, you can find Mark on Twitter at Mark P. Dumo, and you can find his work on uh, the Montreal Canadiens website, Canadians.com. Thank you so much, Mark. Yeah, thanks, thanks a bunch. Make sure, we really appreciate it. Make sure that you don't assume that the picture is Mark, because I've seen <laughs> it so many times, it makes me laugh. Which, oh, the picture of um, Jean Bédiveau? Yeah. It's, yeah. That is well, one of the best non-like... 
selfie pictures I've seen. Like, if you're not going to post a picture yourself, that's one of the, the best ones I've seen on Twitter. Yeah, well, talk about disappointing people when you meet them in real life. Hey, eh? like I've, I've seen so many women, their smile just like leaves their face the second they actually see my face. There, yeah, it's a it's a pretty. Uh, it's a, I, I like to put the heart the bar really high and disappoint everyone all at once. That's my there favorite you go. way of doing it. the people that you know, exactly. you don't need anyway. Anyway, thank you so much, Mark. It's been great having you. Thanks a bunch, man. All it's, right, it's, thanks it's a lot, guys. Thanks for having me on. All right, there was our interview with Mark Dumo. We hope you enjoyed it. Uh, another big special thanks to Mark for, for coming on. You were great. We appreciate it. And if you ever want to come back, you are more than welcome. So before we go, I just wanted to remind everyone the NWHL playoffs start tomorrow. So for everyone who's listening a bit later, January 23rd, uh, all the games are on Twitch. Every single game is on Twitch, so you can watch them all. And then semifinal and final, February 4th and 5th, will be on NBC. So make sure you don't miss any games because I'll be watching them all guys it's been real you can catch me on twitter at uh, chris six or seven uh you can find me on twitter at tyler o'connor 95 and you can find me at hockey omc all right everybody stay healthy out there